Hello, this is Pastor Trent. I want to welcome you to the Mountain Home Church, the Nazarene Sermon Podcast. We are thrilled that you are tuning in to hear sermons from our ministries here at our church. It is our hope that the Spirit of Christ would be present with you as you listen today. I do want to take just a moment to invite you to reach out and connect with us. On our website, we have a way for you to do just that. You can visit www.mhnazarene.org slash connect and fill out a very brief form. There's a spot to leave contact info, ask questions, and even to request prayer. Also, be sure to indicate that you listen to us through our SoundCloud podcast to let us know where you're listening. May the Lord be with you this day. Grace and peace to you. Today, start with a, just a, a brief question. What's your, what's your greatest fear? Do you have a greatest fear? Do you have, when, when, that, when that question is asked, some people have, a, have an immediate answer, right? Snakes or spiders or public speaking or water and drowning, fear of embarrassment, um, fear of heights. Uh, for a number of years, I was a youth pastor, right? Um, and uh, those days are over. Those days are long gone. I'm much too old for that nowadays. Um, but uh, I, I would love going to youth camp right? And youth camp, a lot of them have like this telephone pole that they've planted out in the middle of the forest with these little spikes, and you're supposed to climb up to the top and jump off and grab a ring. Um, Of course, you're harnessed to all sorts of safety equipment to make this a a good and and safe thing. Um, But that, that never caused me any fear at all. I was strapped in. I had the rope. It was no problem. Um, but for some of these kids, I, I remember junior hires that would climb on and get on the third ring, and then they would just freeze, right? They've got three quarters of the way left to go, and they're just frozen. Um, some of the most incredible moments where, where students faced those fears and climbed that pole and jumped off and grabbed the ring. Um, so I love those memories. Uh, I love those memories of, of people uh, facing their fears, in the passage that we have for today, the disciples are fearful. Uh, they encounter these moments that bring them great fear. Um, so we're going we're gonna to dive in today. Uh, reading today from uh, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, uh, starting in verse 30, uh, and reading through verse 37. So if you have your Bibles with you today, you can open up to Mark chapter 9. If you have your devices and point to Scripture that way, I invite you to open to Mark 9 verse 30. Out of reverence for the reading of God's words, I invite you to stand if you are willing and able this morning. Reading from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, starting in verse 30. Reading from the Common English Bible this morning. From there, Jesus and his followers went through Galilee, but he didn't want anyone to know it. This was because he was teaching his disciples. The human one will be delivered into human hands. They will kill him. Three days after he is killed, he will rise up. But they didn't understand this kind of talk, and they were afraid to ask him. They entered Capernaum. When they had come into a house, he asked them, What were you arguing about during the journey? (laughs) They didn't respond, since on the way they had been debating with each other about who was the greatest. He sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, Whoever wants to be first must be least of all 
and the servant of all. Jesus reached for a little child, placed him among the twelve, and embraced him. Then he said, whoever welcomes one of these children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me isn't actually welcoming me, but rather the one who sent me. This is the word of God given to us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Well, last week as we gathered, we were in Mark chapter 8. Um, and in, in Mark, Mark chapter 8, we have for the gospel of Mark, the first prediction of the passion of Jesus. The passion of Jesus being that week that he spent in Jerusalem from, from the triumphal entry to his crucifixion and resurrection. In, in, in Mark chapter 8, he, he predicts for the first time that this is going to happen. He tells the people who he's, he's teaching, this is on its way. Um, and really, Mark chapter 8 serves kind of as the hinge of the whole gospel. We have the ministry of Jesus leading up to, to Mark chapter 8, where kind of in this off moment, in this non-public moment, Jesus gathers with his disciples and says, who do people say that I am? They throw out the popular theories. They, they, you're a good teacher. Some say Elijah, one of the prophets. And Peter says, you are the Christ, the Messiah. And we have this turning of the gospel where after this point, they head to Jerusalem. But on the way, for the three chapters as they head to Jerusalem, one time in each chapter, there's this prediction. This prediction that Jesus says, I am on my way to Jerusalem to die, and I will be killed. Happens in 8 and 9 and 10. And then in, in, in uh, Mark chapter 11, he enters into Jerusalem. Mark is, a, Mark is a moving gospel. It happens very quickly. It uses the word immediately or and then. And, and Jesus just is kind of always on the move and usually headed there quickly. Well, the passion predictions are always greeted by <laughs> horrible responses from the disciples. <laughs> just, just bad, bad responses. And, and, and I try to put myself in the disciples' shoes. I mean, this was their teacher. This was their rabbi. They had devoted their lives. They had walked away from their jobs to follow Jesus because they trusted him, because they saw the work that he was doing. And they believed and they understood that it was important. And what kind of response would I give if my leader said that? If my leader was like, well, I'm going to die. And it gives me a little bit of sympathy, a little bit of compassion for, for the disciples. Last week, Peter scolded Jesus, right? Remember, he's like, this isn't how messiahs act. This isn't supposed to happen. This isn't what, what you're supposed to do. Here in chapter 9, he's met with fear and, and followed apparently by a who's the greatest <laughs> debate or conversation on the road. Um, the third time in the next chapter, he's followed by a request to sit at the right and the left hand of Jesus when he comes into his kingdom. This is the responses that the disciples give when Jesus is trying to prepare them and trying to get them ready for what is coming. 
when they get to Jerusalem. Some of the, some of the worst knuckleheaded moments from the disciples in, in Mark's gospel after these moments of, of deep and specific revelation by Jesus Christ. Uh, I was struck in my reading this week of the text uh, by the fear that we read about in the passage. The disciples are, are fearful, actually in two instances. First, they feared asking Jesus uh, what he was talking about. They didn't understand. It, 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 it says it in the text. The disciples simply just didn't understand this kind of talk. But they feared Jesus. They feared asking him about what he was talking about. Why were they were afraid? Why do you think the disciples were afraid? Was Jesus unapproachable? Was he unapproachable? Or, or was this, this doomsday prediction just so fear-inducing? Did they just want to shut it out of their mind? Did they not want to look foolish? Did they not want to admit that they didn't understand in front of the other 11? I think, I think this goes back to this just simply didn't fit the narrative of who Messiah was going to be. Their understanding of who Messiah was and what Messiah would accomplish and what Messiah would do when he came to Israel. It didn't fit their narrative, their story of what good looked like. This isn't what a good Messiah does. Looks like I don't want to talk about this. I don't want to ask. I don't want to understand this. At least they learned the lesson from chapter 8 and didn't try to correct him. <laughs> that didn't go well for Peter. He got called Satan. Um, not a good day. I heard a story of a pastor who, who was in this kind of interfaith gathering uh, or, or panel of, of, of faith leaders. Um, and and it, was, it was the Jewish rabbi who was kind of laughing at the Christians a little bit, saying, you're, you're always so polite with your prayers when you pray. Right? Uh, it's true. Our songs are kind of, oh, Jesus is great and can't wait for heaven. And Lord, make me and mold me and shape me. Um, look at the Old Testament songs, though. The Psalms, right? And you get a different picture. <laughs> you get a different picture. They're, they're interrogating God. How long is this going to last? Why? Why are the enemies pressing in? There's violence all around me. I asked Brent to read today. He's like, oh, violence, great. Thanks for, thanks for that reading. Really appreciate that. Um, he was joking. It's straight from the Bible. I mean, I, I, I just copied. But in the Psalms, the psalmist is like, I'm surrounded. Why, God? Why is this happening to me? Why is this lasting so long? Do you hear? Do you hear me, God, when I cry? Do you care? that I am surrounded. Save me. <laughs> the disciples have learned very quick. Oh, just keep it nice with Jesus. <laughs> I don't want to ask. I don't want to get it wrong. I, I think God is big enough to handle our honest prayers, our tough questions, our interrogations. Why is this happening? Help me understand. You say you're going to die and I don't get it. Help me. Clearly the disciples are, are thinking in, in human terms still. <laughs> Their conversation betrays that. Who is the greatest? 
Well, Muhammad Ali is, right? I mean, <laughs> those of you that are old enough get that. Um, clearly, I don't think they were saying in a competition, no, no, you're the greatest. Really, you are. No, I think it's you. Uh, it's, not, it's not implied in the text that they were arguing for the others to be deemed the greatest. Do great things. Be noticed. Be notable. Who's going to be Jesus' wingman? With him to the end. They're still thinking that messiahs get noticed, that messiahs set up kingdoms. They get traction, they get followers, and they get results. And the disciples' journey right after Jesus shares this news is who is the greatest? And Jesus asks them about that. This is the second place we see fear in the disciples. They, were, they weren't going to answer. Like, ask Peter. <laughs> um, they're caught. Jesus already knew. What were you arguing about on the way? He already knew. He already understood. But this discussion reveals <clears throat> their mindset was totally against the way that this Messiah had come to change the world. Their hesitancy testifies against them. They knew they were in the wrong. They knew there was this stark difference between the attitudes that they had, they had and, the, and the, the means by which they were pursuing those things and the life that Jesus was calling them to. There was this stark difference between Christ's teaching and this argument that they had had on the road. I was listening to Roger Hahn um, this, this week in, in preparation. He said, in, in all of Mark's gospels, these three passion predictions, he goes and he says, I, I'm going to Jerusalem and there I will be died, there, there I will be killed, um, I'll, I'll rise again. Uh, the order is, is set in all three. There's this prediction and then there's misunderstanding and then there's a chance for Jesus to enter into this deep and rich, teachable moment, this discipleship moment where he tries to help the disciples understand what's going on. And as he begins to teach, his model for this little teachable moment is a child. <laughs> he didn't have PowerPoint. He, he didn't have a video clip to show them. Just watch this. He finds a child and places, places this child in the middle of the group. Multiple writers who talked about this scene in scripture say, you know, it's, it's kind of sanitized for us today. In the 21st century, um, what do you do when you see a young child? I, I know what I do, right? I, I, I get a little gooey, you know, my knees kind of buckle, uh, my voice cracks, and I make funny noises, especially infants, right? Even for young children, getting down on my knees, trying to get them uh, get on their level with them and talk to them. I have the privilege um, this fall to coach a couple of soccer teams. We had our first game. Well, one team had their first game um, yesterday, and the other one actually had a cancellation due to COVID, unfortunately. Um, but in coaching these kids, right, trying to get on their level, trying to use vocabulary that they understand and teach this game that I love, um, <clears throat> This sort of response to, to a child um, is kind of common for today because we try to understand children and try to communicate to them. 
This is, this is a new thing. This is not how uh, children were received in um, first century uh, Israel. Uh, this just wasn't done. This kind of behavior was, was scandalous for, for Jesus in this teaching moment where he's gathered with his disciples to bring in a child. Um, several writers were like, children in this culture were, were like non-people or like future people at best, right? I mean, they, they just hadn't arrived. They're kind of disregarded. Um, and, and then when they grow up and can be productive, and then, then we'll treat them a little bit differently. So when we talk about introducing to a child or introducing a child to this scene and to this setting, it's really kind of offensive. We sanitize it because our understanding of children has changed, and that's a good thing. And yet we don't really understand this picture and how scandalous it would have been for a child to be caught up in the midst of this conversation. His visual aid it was, was for this is, this is how it is that you become first. This is how it is that you become greatest. You see, that's what their argument had been about. And Jesus knew. <laughs> Do you want a roadmap to greatness? If, if this is what you are arguing about, then look at the least of these. Let me show you. Let me bring in a child. Become the least and become the servant. That is the path. There's no better way to show how far off the disciples were than to bring in and introduce the idea of a child. Joyce Ann Mercer wrote, in this instance, the use of a child shows Jesus's struggle and resistance to the purpose of empire. There was no better way. There was no better way for Jesus to say, this is not about empire. This is not about gaining control. Empire and control are not God's way. If it were, Jesus would have walked a different road. We talked about that last week. This was the moment. He had just been declared Messiah. He had the chance to go the path of empire and control. And he said no. The way looks a lot more like this child. <laughs> this non-person. This almost person. This future person. The temptation in this passage, though, is to make this a, a soft, childlike faith message. Oh, be like the children. But this message was not soft or, or easy in Jesus' day. It was not comfortable or casual. We don't just stumble into this life. We don't just go into cruise control and stumble into the life that God has for us. Or the one that Jesus is suggesting that we live. It will take intention to live this way. It will take on purpose action to live this way. It's a habit and a practice that needs to be formed and shaped in us over time. It's one of the things I love about gathering with the church. That over time it begins to shape us and, and, and begins to form us into the people that God wants us to be. That's why we read the scripture throughout the service. That's why we sing songs. That's why we listen to the word. Because in that practice, it begins to shape us and form us. But 
<laughs> an hour and 15 minutes a week is not enough, church. Amen? We need to allow God to shape us and form us throughout the week. Uh, every once in a while I see clips of this old show pop up on, on Facebook or, or uh, it's used somehow. It just cracks me up. Now, if you remember this show, you don't have to admit it, okay? Um, it ran from 1952 to 1969. I was not alive during those years. Um, a show called House Party with Ark Linkletter. House Party with Art Linkletter. I don't know if this started at the beginning of the broadcast, um, but, but one of his regular features was Art taking time at the end of the show to interview kids. Just, just to put the microphone in front of them and to ask questions. And, and he got some of the best and funniest responses ever from kids. He'd, he'd ask the kids, so did you come here with your parents and, and kind of warm them up a little bit? And he, said, he would say something like, what did your parents tell you about when you came up here on, on stage? And one girl said, you know, to keep my knees together. And um, one of the kids said, you know, to not talk about this or to the, don't talk about that. Um, don't, don't share what happened at the house yesterday. Um, if you've ever taught a group of kids or volunteered in a classroom, you know kids say the darndest things, right? They're just out with the truth. They do. They say what is, whatever is on their mind. How ironic that this is the lesson, this is the image that Christ turns to. And I, and I got to thinking, this isn't, no one, I didn't read this from anyone, but I thought, what if, what if that child had been present when Jesus was predicting his death? What if in the freedom of not having to keep up appearances, not having to look like they have it figured out or act like she knew everything, this child was put in that instance where Jesus was talking? What if she could have asked Jesus, she or he could have asked Jesus, what do you mean? You have to die? Help me understand. I'm a little, I'm a little lost. I'm a little confused. That's exactly how the disciples were feeling. But kids have no, no qualms about just speaking the truth, right? Part of me wonders, maybe Jesus would have said the same exact thing. You see, little one, little one who's brave enough to voice your questions. Whoever wants to be great must be least of all. That one must become the servant of all. And that's what Jesus' journey to the cross was all about. From this hinge moment in Mark chapter 8 where he's declared Christ, where he has proclaimed Messiah in a quiet, out-of-the-way corner. Jesus' journey to the cross was about becoming the least of all and becoming the servant of all. See, Jesus isn't do what I say, not as I do. Jesus is do as I do. For I go as the least of all to be the servant of all. The problem in this text is clearly that the, the disciples do not understand the role Messiah came to play. Their posture was defiant and stubborn, prideful and unteachable. Give me the place of honor. Oh, I want to be the greatest. 
<laughs> Chapter 8, it was, no, Jesus, you don't understand. That's not how Messiahs work. Today, it's, oh, let's just leave it alone. Maybe he'll forget about that. I don't know. I don't, I don't get it, but let's talk about who's going to be the greatest. <laughs> Chapter 10, Jesus again predicts his pending death. And he says, can we get good seats? Like, I'd like to sit on your right and your left. There's scandal in this moment. I don't want you to miss this as you read this text today. Jesus places before them this child. Not, oh, how cute. He brought in a kid. Oh, I love it when Jesus embraces the children. But this almost person, this future person, is your model today for how to live. It's not about greatness, but about benevolence and generosity, about serving one another in love. That is our lesson today. Leave the power struggle alone and become the least of all. I'm going to invite the praise team to to join me uh, as we close with one last song. When I'm honest with myself, it's it's so easy. um, It's so easy for me to be conditioned by the world and to see uh, the gospel, to see the kingdom, to see the church in views that are, that are dictated by success and productivity and popularity and, and getting something done because we have good news to share and we need to go share it, church. We do, we need to. And good looks like growth and good looks like accomplishing big things for God. I'm conditioned to adopt that same mindset to play by their rules. I invite you again into this scene to watch Jesus embrace this child and to redefine what success looks like, to redefine what good looks like. He says, if you want to be greatest, become the least. If you want to be greatest, serve all of those around you. It's not something for which we jockey or posture ourselves for. Not something achieved by effort and mastery, but achieved by service and by sacrifice. May we live that way. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us, and then we'll close with a song. Dear God, thank you for the chance to be in your house and to be with your people. We invite you again today. We just speak this prayer. Shape us, God. Shape us into the people that you want us to be. We thank you for this lesson, for this story, for this picture into your life as you walked on earth. And though it brings me great joy to see you as one who embraced children and invited them into to that scene, may not lose the fact that this was so outside the norm. It was so scandalous just not how things worked I pray today that you would shape me that way you would shape us that way that you would through your presence just continually invite us into that place of becoming the least of these becoming the servant of all because we're following you not to be the best, not to understand 
<laughs> realized gains or, or to become the best, but just to look like you. Help shape us and form us. And that way I pray in Christ's name. is holy and shapes us and forms us into his holiness when we allow him to do so. Maybe make that choice this week. Would you stand, those who are willing and able to receive the benediction, we invite you to hold out your hands just as this physical reminder that we receive this benediction prayer this morning. To the God who is able to do far beyond all that we could ask or imagine by his power which is at work within us. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus for all generations, forever and always. Amen. 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 Go in the love of Christ. Thanks for joining us today on the Mountain Home Church, the Nazarene podcast. Don't forget to visit us at mhnazarene.org connect if you'd like to connect with us and have a great week.